Hi, Eleonora, and welcome to the NDA PMU podcast. First of all, before we launch into today's topic, how about you tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do, a bit about your past experience. Sure, and thank thank you so much for having me today. So I'm Eleonora, I'm a sales enablement manager at Permitive, and I'm a mother, and some might say I'm a late bloomer. The fact is that I've been an executive assistant for over 10 years, And although this role opened up for me a lot of opportunities, like moving from Europe to Asia, working with multiple cultures, learning new languages, skills, and I always knew I wanted to do more. I just really didn't know what that was. And the answer arrived when I was, when I turned 35 and I was planning to build a family when I bumped into the sales enablement role and I quickly realized that was what I wanted to do. So for those who are not familiar with that, sales enablement is basically a fairly new role in the tech industry. And its mission is to uh, set customer facing organizations up for success. And I found that in that particular moment of my life that was perfectly matching with my personal mission, to set a new human being up for success and see them thrive. And I happened to get promoting to my new role when I was pregnant with twins during the pandemic. Wow. Pregnant with twins during a pandemic, taking a promotion. Um, world peace on the agenda next week, by chance. <laughs> Goodness yeah. me. Goodness me. Well, that would explain... Uh, why the title of today's podcast is Breaking the Maternal Wall Bias. Now, this this intrigues me. So first of all, I think what we really want to know is what is this maternal wall bias? And so if there is that wall there, what can we do to smash it down? So uh, first of all, the maternal walls bias was not very familiar to me uh, in the first place. And being born in a be born and raised in a Southern European culture. Um, and the fact that my promotion happened just before my maternity leave was to me like unexpected and really exceptional. And I often thought it was out of luck that I was promoted, that I had been promoted in those circumstances. But then I thought, wait a minute, what if a man was promoted during the process of becoming a father? Would that be so surprising? I don't think so. So that's how I learned about the maternal world bias when I had to correct my own unconscious bias. So I think there's a real disconnect between what happened to me and the reality of many working mothers. And concretely, the maternal world bias is probably one of the most anchored gender stereotypes. Um, And basically, it is the fact that companies believe that mothers are, are less committed less performing on the workplace, less focused than their childless peers. And this is the product of of centuries of patriarchal society, where the place of women was traditionally at home, raising children. And yeah, you have the image of the the, the man coming coming home late at night uh, as the sole breadwinner of of the family. But fortunately enough, the society has evolved. Although... I don't think we can really say we are over it. Um, Yeah, and so there are a few things that characterize this stereotype. Um, Sometimes it's not that easy to detect. 
um, it becomes obvious when women, in particular pregnant or in the conventional pregnancy age, are overlooked for promotion and for career transitions. Sometimes it takes the form of you cannot have it all because you are a mother, so you have to choose between career and family. And sometimes it also takes the benevolent mask when, uh, for example, you are spared a project because people assume you don't have time because of being a mother. It, it, it does seem quite ridiculous in this day and age that 50%, in fact, more, I think there are, I can't remember the statistic. It's, it's, it's a narrow sheaving, but it's something like 51, 49. I think there's, there's more women than men around. So 51% of the population is told that either for a decade, you know, women of childbearing age, at least for a decade, if not more. I mean, I'm not sure I'd want more children after the age of 40, but there you go. Um, many do. Uh, a decade, two decades even, are considered that at any given point, to be next to useless. Um, I mean, why would a why would a, an organization cut off their their human resource like that? Yeah, I mean, I think it all feeds into the, as you say, into the gender gap that we have nowadays. And the statistics are really impressive. So I often think about think about my home country, Italy, as one of the worst in class, the bad examples, because according to Eurostat, 57% of Italian mothers are today out of the workforce. And I bet it's not for their own choice. So I think it's also a problem of educating the employer that of the fact that having a, a, a working mother taking a parental leave, it's not just a cost for the company, but most of the time this cost is offset uh, by actually the other cost that is uh, high, having to hire somebody to replace this person and train them. So ultimately, the attrition uh, cost is higher than losing the, the, the employee. I know. I mean, it's, it does seem rather silly, doesn't it? And I, I mean, one of the things you said there about the education of the employer, there's kind of an assumption, isn't there, that, okay, so, so physically, practically physically, Women need a certain amount of maternity leave. After all, we are quite li literally doing the heavy lifting for a bit. But if you have a desire and need to go back to work at whatever stage, there is really very little physically in the way that would stop you. But there is practically, because of the biases, because of the stereotypes, it's assumed that, as you just pointed out, men will waltz in at the end of the day, have the slippers and the supper waiting for them. Women have to also do all the organizing. So the mental load on, on women is insane. And I wonder if employers are going, well, it's not just that she needs time off to, to literally birth and feed a baby, but that she won't be concentrating because even if we get her back to the office, she'll be thinking about childcare. Or, and the husband won't be thinking about that, or the partner, rather, won't be thinking about that. Do you think it's, sounds horrible to say, but is it the bloke's fault? Is it men's fault that they're just not picking up the baton? <laughs> well, we could say that, uh, but I think it's also a problem in general in uh, 
parental leave and the structure that many countries have around parental leave. So they don't give families the option of choosing who is going to stay at home with the children for longer. And uh, so sometimes family found trapped in the, okay, it's the mother because it has to be the mother because it's a social convention because um, um, maternity leave is for the mother only. And the father takes at best a few days after childbirth. So I think we are a victim of that. And, and the system itself is the victim of the gender bias. Um, and, and also I think it's, uh, it's a problem of not having enough options for childcare. If we had more of those options available for us, it would be and more affordable, I guess. Uh, it would be much easier and certainly one less thing we need to think about. And, and ultimately, I think we really need to include our male counterparts into, into the discussion, be it our husbands uh, or life companions or children, siblings, whatever, and make them aware of how to break these, this bias. It's funny, isn't it? Because I wonder if, if maternity leave and paternity leave to a certain extent as well, were redefined in a workplace. So as you mentioned, employers see it as a huge inconvenience that a, a woman will be employed, she'll be trained, and then she'll go away for in the UK, uh, possibly a minimum of six months, often a year. In the US, it's it's terrifying how short it is. It's like two weeks. Um, and we've been talking so far about women as well who might want to come back and would be happy, you know, either using formula milk or pumping at work, none of which is necessarily ideal, certainly not the idea of sitting in a toilet or even a, another room and, and pumping milk all day long. There are women who may well want to stay at home with a tiny infant to get to know them. Um, but one, I wonder if we couched the whole employment thing as being, okay, so women take a certain period of time to be at home with children if they want to. Um, why don't we offer the same, and, and this becomes part of a the structure of how we work. Why don't we offer a similar sabbatical type experience to men and or childless um, people or people, you know, people who don't want to use a maternity leave so that you have, um, that you have this sense of equality not people are taking time off. You know, the men, the men or the, the childless people using this time are either using it to be with their families, for example, to develop a new skill, to go away. And because it seems like there are currently only two options to break down this maternal wall, which is women go back. And they don't, not all women want to. I, I remember I, I'm a focus group of one, but I was quite happy to take the year out and then go back refreshed into a new job. I wasn't sort of keen to, to sh I didn't want to share it with my partner. <laughs> I wanted to take the year off. I wanted him to go to work. But equally, where is the fairness? Yeah. Um, and it seems like in employment, for example, we accept that people take 30 days holiday a year. We accept that people take sick days. Why aren't we building into the fact that if we want to keep employees for a long period of time, we accept that at some point a six-month sabbatical might be required. 
and that happens to be a maternity leave yeah. or study leave. Yeah, it definitely it needs to be a matter of choices. So I think there should not be a one size fits all, but it's really up to the mother, uh, to the new parent to choose what is best for them. Um, I think there are good examples out there out there for employers, for example, Google, who implemented a few years ago a, a parental leave scheme. And they said that before the implementation, and yes, it's an American company, as you say, as you said before. So their maternity leave uh like dictated by the state, it's very, it's very small. So what they did is that they extended this um this period of time that was optional to, to choose for. And they um they saw that there was a much better um attrition levels and that mothers told that they were using the extra time to really transition smoothly back into work and be more effective effective and and uh, happier in the workplace so yeah i really wish that was the mentality of many of of, of the employers which is not really the case very often <laughs> i mean talking about your personal experience was was yours positive i mean yours and and your group of friends how how does it look to you well um lucky i live in france so here the state is quite generous with maternity leaves and then having carried child, uh, twins i had like double of the maternity leave entitlement of single uh like singletons so i would say that was a fair a fair amount of time for me. Um, I also used my latter part of the maternity leave to prepare for my new role, which is which was very important for me and mattered a lot because, as I said, I always wanted this career change, and then it happened during my uh, experience of becoming a mother. So I was very th- um, thrilled about this chance that I had, and I didn't want to. Um, wait so wait more to make it happen. So I really used the, the spare time to train myself as well. The not that I had a lot of spare time, but if I had a few minutes, a few um, ten minutes here and there, I would listen to podcasts. Uh, I would uh, read articles and really prepare my transition back into into the workplace. It does seem funny, doesn't it? That um, you know, it's interesting when I asked you, you know, what's what's your experience? Your your instinct is to talk about the things you did to prepare for going back to work that that would add value to your employer. And again, the maternal will bias. We don't hear an awful lot about how employers are helping to prepare, you know, their business. To deal with women. I mean, you, you mentioned also that the, the state in France is, is very generous. Employ, yep. Employers have to suck it up. They just have to go, okay, my employee. And every time it seems like the fact that a woman might get pregnant or want to have a family or people might want to have a family comes as a surprise. Yeah. Exactly. How are you going to take a year off? What am I going to do? Didn't you anticipate that 50% of the population might want to take exactly. a year off? Exactly. And it's really astonishing because um, I was um, following a, um, quite a buzz that uh, was out on the social on social media a few weeks ago in Italy. Um, so basically, uh, an entrepreneur during a um, an event 
she um, candidly admitted that she always tries to choose men in top executive positions. Um, and she tends not to promote women that are younger than 40 because those that are 40 or more will have gone through all the all the, step, the steps that are required for a women to have done or to have completed by then, like getting married, having kids, getting a divorce, possibly. So that was really stunning to me uh, to see how many stereotypes we could have just in one phrase captured in, in, in 30 seconds. And, uh, and as you say, I think it's, it's really, it's really ridiculous that we, I mean, maternity is a thing in life. We were born out of a mother. (laughs) And so it's stunning that the society is still anchored to that archaic bias. I think it's, it's funny. I think it is, it, it does go back, doesn't it? I think it's not, it isn't just a maternal bias. It's a female bias. And I don't want to sound like I feel hard done by, but you mentioned that this, this woman's company, she prefers to choose women over 40. Well, hello, menopause. And I guarantee that's going to happen to all of the women. Women can choose to remain childless. They can't choose to remain menopauseless, and that can go on for years. So, I mean, we're only just getting an awareness in in the corporate world of how impactful that can be. And people talking about menopause leave and, you know, hybrid working as a result. I wonder if it's going to need to take all these various campaigns from period wellness to maternal health to menopausal health and all these things in between to make employers realize that, and this is again speaks to hybrid working and and agile workforces and everything else about how the rigid nine to five, all working days apart from 30 days a year, everyone performs the same function if they're in the same job role at the same time. And they've just got to realize Life isn't that inflexible. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I do wonder if we will get a change, but if if each of these campaigns happens on its own, it's not enough. They all have to come together and employers. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think that the maternal world bias, as many other gender biases, they all feed into the same uh, vicious circle, I guess. And what we need to do is turn it into a virtual circle. So for example, let's break the traditional silo of mothers and non-mothers. Let's get together and let's just fight for the same battles. Um, For example, another example, we often talk about the women who made it to the C-suite. So how did they make to the top of the companies? what kind of battles they had to fight to get there. Are they willing to embrace the vulnerability and share with us those battles? I think that would be a good example to set for for everyone out there. Fantastic. Yeah, I think good examples, making it the rule rather than the exception that women can make it to the top just as as easily as men seem to do. it's clear there's no immediate answer. It's clear that there's no easy answer just yet, I don't think, although there are many steps I believe we would want employers to take to help us break that wall down. Um, 
Eleonora, it has been fascinating chatting to you. Thank you so much. I'm, yeah, I'm, you're doing podcasts, managing twins, dealing with a promotion. You know, it's all in a day's work for you, I guess. Yeah, it's just normal business as usual. So, Oh, my goodness. Well, that's, that's high-powered business, if ever there was one. Thank you so much for chatting to us today, Eleonora. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Morag. There you go. Uh, well, um, I had a lot of things prepared, but then I realized that it was more interesting to flow, to follow the flow of discussion. And uh, I got a bit stuck at the beginning, but then I think uh, that I think it went better towards the second part. As, as you get used to it, I mean, I didn't even, um, I didn't notice you get stuck. That's for a start. So it's always more concerning when you, you're in it and you know all the things yeah. you want to say, as I said at the start, and you realize you're not going to say them all. And you're like, oh, have I gone wrong? Did I do something? No, it's fine. And yes, as you get into the flow, I mean, I, I have to say, I, I, the reason I was talking to you about Paris is I, I used to live there and I speak French. Oh, really? Reasonably well. <laughs> reasonably well. It's been a while. But it's always, particularly for our European participants, I know you're not doing it in your native language. Your yeah. English is amazing, amazing. Um, but that adds an extra layer of yes. the thinkology that we're making you do. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a muscle. It's not that your English will get better. It doesn't need to get better. It's not that your thought process will get better. That doesn't need to get better. The more you do them, the more the muscle of how you do yes. this. I get trained. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was it was really good. You were pulling in lots of information. There was lots of anecdotal insight in there. It was really, really great. And I, I mean, the tiniest thing that I can that I can pick up on is I, I know at the start, I think you were reading a script to to start with of who you are and everything else. I, I would have said of the one thing that you could probably do off the top of your head, yeah. it's introduce yourself because you know who you are. <laughs> Yeah, so sure but probably because of the second language not being my first language i am always afraid not to come across the way i, I would like so yeah. so i was i mean this is what i was going to say it's it is rather unfair of me to do uh, that no i mean it's okay i mean it's a it's a really good point <laughs> of all the things that could, that should be the one that i know by heart <laughs> but, but yeah yeah so so that is the that is the sort of thing. Just because when you're listening to a podcast, if something is written out, we don't write the way we speak. Certainly yeah. not in foreign languages, yeah. but we we just don't. And so it, it you can sort of hear it, and you're like, yeah, you're reading something rather than speaking. So there's there's definitely a difference between you answering me because you can't yeah. script that because you didn't know what yeah. I was going to ask exactly. And so having done that, having answered my questions because you couldn't script them, um. You now probably don't need to script anything anymore because you realized you can actually speak <laughs> so for a true. few minutes without having a script. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, definitely. So it's it's a lot of it is about having the confidence to know that you already can do this. Yeah. And just just flexing that muscle. So would you do more podcasts now that you've had now that you've had this oh, baptism? No, I think so. I have the opportunity to do one probably in French about my my role. Uh, so yeah, I'll probably say yes and prepare for that. And then I shall bow down at your feet and go, twins, promotion, working, podcasting, podcasting in th at least two, if not three languages. Um, 
Yeah, I th- I'd, I'd say you're already quite far ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. That's very nice. <laughs> no problem. Um, look, it was it was wonderful to talk to you, not just for the purposes of a podcast. It was really wonderful to talk to you, Eleanor. And I think we, we need to now go out and solve the worlds of, of the female sex. And, yeah, and I know. Not easy, but um, yeah, we will get there one day. <laughs> Fantastic. You take care. Have a great afternoon. You too. Bye. Bye.